Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Money Month here at Bachelor Creek. And in case you didn't realize, we were starting Money Month today, and you're looking for the nearest exit. Let me just encourage you to stop, because I've already instructed for the doors to be locked this morning, okay? So your resistance is futile. <laughs> but we are starting a series today. It's based on a book called Rich Toward God. And over the last couple of weeks, we've given out copies of this book to every family unit. If you didn't get your copy over the last couple of weeks, we have a stack over here and a stack over here. So at the end of service, if you still have to get one, feel free to come get one. We're just asking that you read a chapter a week. It's a four-week series. There's four chapters. There's only like 15 pages per chapter. It's an easy read, informative read, convicting read. So I would really encourage you not just to get the book, but to actually read it after you get it. Now, I shared last week about how uh, here at Bachelor Creek and in recent years that we've tended to shy away from talking about money a whole lot because we just don't want to be known as that church, you know, where they've always got the handout asking for something. So we've almost gone too far the other way to where we haven't talked about money at all, all right? Because talking about money is, how would you feel Fill in that blank. If, if you had to fill in that blank, talking about money is, what would you say? Is something to make people really feel uncomfortable, right? Is mildly offensive? Is kind of awkward? Talking about money is helpful, some of you might say. Here's how I would fill in that blank. Talking about money is something Jesus did a lot. Did you know that? Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, we read that one out of every six verses where Jesus is quoted, he's talking about money or wealth in some form or fashion. One out of every three parables that Jesus tells, those stories that resonate with us, one out of every three has to do with money, possessions, wealth, or something of the like. Did you know that more than heaven, hell, and prayer combined Jesus talked about money more than all three of those things combined. So it really begs the question to ask, why did Jesus talk about money so much? Was he money hungry? Was he trying to solicit resources from his crowd? Was that all that he cares about? No, not at all. The reason Jesus talked about money and the reason we're going to talk about money over the next couple of weeks you can fill this in on your bulletin, is because every single person has a relationship with money. Every single one of us. Now, your money relationship might be what you would call troubled. So that when you hear that money is going to be talked about, you don't necessarily feel positive. You feel painful inside because you've got a troubled relationship with money. That it doesn't make your heart sing, it makes your heart sink. Now, when it comes to money, let me ask you this. Who's in the driver's seat? Are you telling your money where to go, or is your money telling you where to go? Are you in control, or is it in control? When it comes to your financial relationship, your relationship with money, would you say that it's, it's strategic and it's controlled? Or would you say that it's chaotic and you're just kind of living day by day and money kind of has you by the throat? 
So the reason reason why Jesus talked about money so much is because he loves us. And because he hates to see what a wrong attitude or wrong approach to money can do to us. Because here's what Jesus said loud and clear. He says, I came that you might have life and life to the full. I want you to have the abundant life. I want you to have the best life possible, the richest possible existence. So here's what Jesus says. Anything that's going to derail my people from that kind of life, I want to come in and I want to speak to that and try to rescue them from that. And I want to show them a better way. Because here's what Jesus knows about our relationship with money. I want you to write this down. Our relationship with money is so much more a spiritual issue than it is a financial issue. Jesus knows that our troubled relationship with money isn't going to be fixed by just having more money. That something has to happen in our hearts long before it ever happens in our bank accounts. So let me tell you what this series is not as we go forward, okay? This series is not going to be a matter of me manipulating scripture, taking scripture out of context, and making all sorts of unbiblical, unfounded promises to you that if you just give, 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 then God will bless you with millions of dollars in the bank and a garage full of exotic cars and you'll be independently wealthy in just a short matter of time. Some of you wishes that maybe that's what I would say, but that's not what I could say in good conscience. Now, does God bless people with money, with wealth, with, with things? Absolutely. The testimony of Scripture shows that that to be true. But I believe that's always secondary to what he first wants for us in our lives. So let me tell you what this series is about. Very, very plain and simple. It's about this. God wants something for us way more than he wants something from us. That's what this whole series is about. That God wants something for you, for me, more than he wants something from us. So you know what that means? It means we don't have to recoil. It means we can actually lean into the loving, instructive words of our Father as he tries to lay out the best possible life for his children. Because God wants something for us. Let me tell you what God wants for us, okay? This is going to be the best thing that you've heard all week. Here's what God wants for us. Do you know what he wants? He wants you and he wants me to be rich. Thank you. We got one amen. We got somebody who's like mildly excited. Like, yeah, I think. There's no hallelujahs though. Where, where was the amens? Where was the cha-ching, right? Where's the show me the money, right? Because you know there's a little bit more to it than just that, right? There's more to the sentence. God wants us to be rich toward God. That's what he wants. And that's the kind of richness you're not going to hear about in secular America, right? But it's the kind of richness that we want to elevate and we want to make our destination and we want to emphasize it here at Bachelor Creek because that's kind of our goal. That's our destination. We want to be rich toward God. Now let me ask you this question. Are most Americans rich toward God? How many of you say, yes, Americans are very rich toward God? How many of you say, eh, probably not very rich toward God? Yeah. 
But honestly, I don't really care about where most Americans are because most Americans aren't going to hear me preach. You, however, have the unfortunate opportunity of hearing me over the next four weeks as we talk about being rich toward God. So let's make it at a smaller level. Is Bachelor Creek rich toward God? Do we want to be rich toward God here at Bachelor Creek? And you know what? You can't even do, you can't even answer for that. You can't answer for hundreds of people to come here about whether or not they are rich toward God. But do you know who you can answer for? You can answer for you. And I can answer for me. And I can say that's going to be my destination. And you can say that's going to be your destination. So here's what it boils down to, folks. It leads with what's going on in our heart. And it follows with what's going on in our bank accounts. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, say the rest with me, there your heart will be also. Now, anytime Jesus wanted to make a point, he did something that we would remember the point because he used something creative. Do you know what he did? He always told what? The story. Because stories are memorable. Stories we identify with characters. Stories we say, oh, yeah, that speaks directly to me, right? So just like any other time Jesus wanted to make a point about something, he does the exact same thing with money. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to start there, and we're going to look at this story that Jesus told. And above the heading, above Luke uh, 12 and verse 15, 16 area, you're going to see the title, The Parable of the Rich Fool, probably in your Bibles, okay? Those of you who read this week already in preparation for today, when you read Rich Toward God, you're going to be kind of prepped. You've kind of tilled up the soil of the ground of God's Word, so you kind of know what the story is this morning, all right? For the rest of you, if you haven't read this week, week chapter 1, make sure you read it sometime this week as a follow-up to what you're hearing today, okay? So Jesus, in Luke 12... We're going to start in verse 16. It says here, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. You know what this guy has? He's got some money problems. Right? The kind of problems we'd probably like to have. That we have so much stuff that we don't have anywhere to put it, right? So he's got a problem. And he's simply trying to problem solve, all right? Now let me ask you this. When it comes to money, what kind of problems do you want? Because you're always going to have two types of problems when it comes to money. You're going to have rich people problems or poor people problems, right? So what would you rather have? Would you rather have rich people problems like what this guy's got, that got, I've just got so much stuff that I've, I've got to figure out where to put it, or would you have poor people problems? Which would you rather have? This guy's got the rich people problems. Then he says here in verse 18, then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have, an, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
Now, if that's all we know about this guy, that he's got just so much stuff and not enough place to put all his stuff, then we ask the question, where's the problem, Jesus? Why are you even telling us the story? What's the moral? What are you, what are you driving at? Because so far, you and I see him, this guy, and what you probably see in him too, he is the world's definition of success, right? He's financially sound. He's so good at what he does that his mediocre barns can't even handle all the success that he has. So what do you do when you're a raving success? Well, you capitalize on your current status and you come up with a plan, a solution to help get you to the next status, right? Isn't that financially wise? Isn't that prudent? Isn't that just being responsible? Isn't that just normal and makes sense to all of us that you would come up with that kind of a plan? But then you get to the most interesting part of the story. This guy's got everything laid out. He's got a map and a plan of the future. His strategy is dead on. But then it says, Jesus in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Now, why is God raining on this guy's success parade? He's worked hard. He's worked smart. He's made sure his I's were dotted and his T's were crossed. And he ended up with a bountiful measure of stuff, right? So why is there such impending judgment on this man. Here's the kicker. Verse 21, Jesus gets right down to why he told the story. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So hear me out. I don't want to be misquoted, okay? You can have bigger barns. You can have lots of stuff. That's not the problem. You can have big barns and a rich relationship with God. They can mutually exist together as long as you've got your priorities right. As long as first and foremost isn't what's going on in your barns, but first and foremost in your life is what's going on in your relationship with God. And then out of that, everything else flows. Do you know what that requires? A shift. A mindset shift that is really nowhere to be found in this world, just like this man represents the world's view of wealth and stuff. And I think it's even lacking in the church a lot. It's a mindset shift. And here's what it's all about. Get ready to write this down. We have to go from ownership thinking to stewardship thinking. Now, we know what ownership means, right? We know that ownership means it's mine. It's not yours. I have all rights and all privileges to this in my little kingdom because it's mine. In fact, that's the one word definition of ownership. Mine. 
Now, the word stewardship is maybe a little harder to wrap our minds around because we don't really talk in terms of stewardship these days. Back in ancient days, they had what they called stewards, but today we don't call people stewards even though a lot of people function as stewards. Here's what stewardship means. It's not mine. I don't have rights and privileges to it. I've simply been entrusted with something to manage it and then to release it whenever the time calls for it. So we could say the one word definition of stewardship is his. That ownership, it's about mine. Stewardship is about it being his. So let me ask you folks, in all seriousness this morning, when it comes to the money, the resources, the wealth, whatever, that God has put in your hands, is your attitude toward it, and is your handling of it reflecting of someone who sees yourself as the owner, that it's mine? Or do you see yourself as the steward, that it's all God's? I'm just the conduit through which God is going to release it through me to whatever God calls me to do with it. Because here's what I know. If I want to be rich toward God, and if you want to be rich toward God, daily, it's a fight against the ownership mindset. Amen? The stewardship mindset is something that we have to pursue, we have to cultivate, we have to work for. Because it's just hardwired into every single human being since the day we were born that we want to make stuff mine. In fact, we joke because that's one of the first words that our kids learn, right? You try to take something from them, and it's almost like nobody's ever even taught them the word, but it's like it's built into their DNA. They come up, mine, right? It's just hardwired into us as people. So let's settle the debate today about ours or God's, because here's what Psalm 24.1 says. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it the world and all who live in it. How many of you believe that? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All the people in it belong to God. Everyone. Everything. But how many of us could raise our hands and say, and you know what? I'm living like that too because I believe it all belongs to God. A little scarier, right, to raise our hand to that one. So, the problem with this guy, the reason why he's labeled a fool by Jesus is because he was all about ownership and stewardship was nowhere even on his radar, right? And again, the issue for this guy was not necessarily what he had. It was his mindset about not acknowledging where all of it came from. So he had a really hard time nailing down this mindset. And you know how we can tell? Just look at the verbiage he uses. Look at the words that come right from his mouth. See if you can find a common denominator in some of these phrases he uses, okay? My crops, my barns, my wheat, my goods, myself. What's the common denominator? My. This guy speaks for three verses in scripture. He uses 11 pronouns. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. 
That's what we find him doing. The thinking that God had anything to do with what he had was completely foreign to him. So God says, you look really successful on the outside. You look smart. You look savvy. You look like you could be teaching business school. But God says, at the end of the day, in my eyes, you're really a fool. Kind of goes along with something else scripture says that man's wisdom is foolishness to God. Right? Now, if we want to be more of a steward, which I hope you want to be because that's what Jesus is calling us to be. If we want to be rich toward God and kind of reach that destination, then I'm telling you, folks, there is something that we have to eradicate in our lives. There's something that we have to wrestle to the ground and we've got to pin it there. And in place of it, we have to embrace something else. You know what it is? We have to wrestle with greed. And we have to embrace generosity. You know what I know about both these things? Because I've experienced both these things. They both have one source. Right here. Have you noticed you can be greedy with a little or you can be greedy with a lot. Just like you can be generous with a little and generous with a lot. And if you asked the average American, are you greedy? I'll bet 99.9% .9 of them would say no. Because we have a hard time seeing greed in our own lives. In fact, the lead into this story, do you know why Jesus even tells this story? Because two brothers are arguing about the inheritance. Their fathers died, and some guy yells out from the crowd, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Have you seen that happen? Have you seen families have wedges driven between them because of greed. That I want what you want and what I got's not fair, so I'm going to pursue it until I get more of what I feel entitled to. Jesus says to his people, to you and I, church, be on guard. Get your dukes up. Build a fortress around you and do not let greed penetrate those walls of your heart. Because greed is so sneaky and it's so seductive that it will get you ultimately into all sorts of troubles that will befall you. And I don't think that this guy in our story would say that he's greedy. Just like most Americans wouldn't say that we're greedy. You know what he would say? I'm being smart. I'm being responsible. I'm being prudent. And he's got a plan. Like any business guy, he's got a plan. Here's his plan. Harvest crops, tear down barns, build bigger barns. One thing he didn't have on his plan, though, don't die. He missed that one, didn't he? He thought, because I've got a lot of stuff, that means I'm going to have a lot of years to enjoy a lot of my stuff. That one kind of equated the other. And again, there's nothing wrong with this man, what he has. There's nothing wrong with his wealth. There's nothing wrong with his plan. There's nothing wrong with the bigger barns. There was just one element missing from his plan. But you've got to come back next week to hear it. 
No, I'm kidding. You're like, it's way too early for Solomon to be done. I got to, let me just go, okay? Verse 17, here's what, here's what it says here. It's not going to be on the screen, but you can refer back to it. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Now, does that question sound evil? Does that sound bad? Does that sound sinister? No, this guy's just trying to problem solve, right? There's a reason why this guy's rich, because he's been good at problem solving in the past. So it's a good question, what should I do? But you know what? It's not the best question. Because what should I do? That is not a question that is going to expose any greed in his life. That is not a question that is going to free him from greed and allow him to move forward where Jesus wants to get his people. You know where Jesus wants to get his people? He wants to get us to be stewardship mindset to where we live life with the open hand and generosity flows through us. That's where Jesus wants to get at. And asking the question, what should I do? It's a good question, but it's not the best question. Here's the best question. And you probably already know where I'm going with this. God, what do you want me to do? God, you've blessed. God, you've increased. God, you've given bigger barns. You've given fruitful soil. You've given fertile crop. You've given everything. God, what would you want me to do? But this question was not even on this guy's radar, which is why God says, no matter how successful you look, no matter how savvy you are, no matter that you made it on the front of Forbes magazine, God says to me, you're a fool because you are dying a spiritual pauper. So why should we ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? Which scares a lot of people to death, right? I mean, some of you think about asking that question, God, what do you want me to do with, with my wealth, with my stuff, with the things you've put in my life? Because here's what we do. We imagine the worst case scenario, that God's going to appear or he's going to write letters of fire in the sky, cash it all in and give it to the poor, right? He's like, no, I don't, you know? We imagine the worst case scenario of what God would, would tell us to do if we dared trust him enough to even ask him that question about what do you want me to do, God? But the answer is found all throughout the Bible. And specifically, I want you to look at Deuteronomy 8 this morning, okay? Deuteronomy 8, if you have your Bible, flip all the way back to the Old Testament. All right? We're going to be in Deuteronomy 8. In this passage, let me set it up for you. The Lord is speaking to the Israelites. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting to get this promise of this land flowing with milk and honey. They've heard about it. The spies told them about it, all right? They've defeated places to get there, all right? So now they're about ready to enter in. And God paints this picture for them of what lie on the other side. And he gives a warning to them over and over and over and over. And the reason why God gives this warning to them over and over and over is because they're human beings. And again, the propensity for human beings is to say, mine, not yours. But I want you to listen to what God says. Deuteronomy 8, 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water 
with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, figs, trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. That make you a little hungry this morning? It's like an awesome salad bar God has prepared for him right on the other side. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, listen to this, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. In other words, with every bite, with every resource, look up and say, God, thank you. Verse 11. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful! Exclamation point, right? Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness of food unknown to your ancestors. Listen to this. Here's the kicker. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Amen? Here's what God's saying. Every good morsel that comes into your life comes from me. And here's a discovery that jumps out from Deuteronomy 8 all the way to Luke chapter 12. As you read this story, Jesus introduces the story with these, way, this, with these words. He says, there was a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Few words here, descriptive words. Rich, fertile, fine. Who made the man rich? Who made the soil fertile? Who made sure the crops, when they grew, they were fine crops? If the rich man were telling you the story, he'd say, me. I developed new farming techniques. I had irrigation strategies. I bought the best seed. I, I, just, I just tried to be as smart as I could in this whole venture. And he just doesn't see what he should have. That, you know, maybe God gave you the brain to think strategically. Maybe God gave you a body that was able to go out and work hard day after day, night after night in the field. Because I'll tell you what, folks, remember this. 
because this guy didn't even acknowledge this. You and I, none of us in this room, none of us ordered the kind of life that we would have from the womb. We never said, this is how I want to be, this is what I want my gifts and abilities to be, this is where I want to be strong, and this is where it's okay for me to be weak. Now here, life, make sure I'm turned out that way. You know who's responsible for that? God. It's all God. Now, this man was born with certain skills, abilities. He played a part. Absolutely. God played a part. But tell me this. Whose part depended on whose? His part completely depended on God's, right? So God shows us through the Israelites. He shows us through this guy. He shows us a million times over scripture that he really doesn't want something from us as much as he wants something for us. Listen to what we read in Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. God says, I want to bless you. I just need you to step out in a measure of faith and trust me. And say you own nothing, but say you steward everything that comes from my generous hand to you. And when that happens, friends, when you live with a mentality that says, God, what do you want me to do? That's the time just to hold on for the ride. Because it's going to be awesome. Why don't you pray with me about this this morning, okay? Father, we thank you that you love us so much. You don't want to see us held captive to money. You don't want us to have the wrong attitude or approach to money. And that's why Jesus spoke so much about it. Because he knew that money and stuff and wealth would be his chief competitor in winning the hearts of the people of the world. We see it every day, Lord. We see people who look like they have the world by the tail. They've got more money they could ever spend in a lifetime, and they're miserable. And they're killing themselves, or they're drinking themselves, or overdosing themselves, because they're not rich toward you. So Lord, I pray as we leave today that we will embrace the stewardship mindset and we'll realize that everything that we have comes from the hand of a gracious God. And the more we realize that and live like that and embrace that mentality and ask that question, God, what do you want me to do? That's the kind of life you want to bless and you want to just funnel all sorts of things through that kind of life because it has you at the top. So Lord, help us. If we're troubled in our relationship with money, I pray that we'll be strengthened. If we're already in a place of strength, I hope that, Lord, you'll strengthen us even more. So, Father, right now, we just give you permission to work on our hearts. Because we know that greed and generosity both are heart issues.
and we want to be rich toward you. So God, thank you for all that you've given to us, the abundant life here and now and the hope of eternal life forever. And through Christ our Savior, we pray this. Amen.